Thanks, Jesse. For the record, I have a sore throat, not the plague. So, uh, Last night was rough, and I appreciate all you guys praying for me, but God has been very gracious to me this morning, and so I've been really disappointed if I couldn't sing those songs. So hopefully I have enough voice for the rest of the sermon. Um, because I do, not, I do not want to miss this one. Uh, I am really excited for this, this text. Uh, I love the book of Revelation. I'm weird like that. Um, but I love this text. This may be my favorite section. Just because this is the gospel in vivid story form. It is so visual. If, if the gospel was an action comic, this would be it. Uh, it's got heroes, it's got villains, it's got graphic detail. This is such a fun section. Um, and it's a section that has caused so much consternation for people. Because of the imagery, and because of the uh, fearful sights and the dragon and the beasts and all these, uh, all these things, it's such a distraction. But this is actually meant to encourage the church. The symbolism here as well is going to help us in the latter half of the book. Um, and so understanding the symbolism and really the uh, three main characters are our interpretive key for the rest of the book. So we're moving from the first half, chapters 1 through 11, which, where we dealt with the, the church in the world kind of on the surface. Uh, here's what's going on in the churches. Here's what we see in the world, the mountains and the seas and all these kind of things. But now, in the second half of the book, um, we're introducing the dragon. We're going under the, the, the surface um, where the forces of evil are warring against the ascended Christ. Uh, and so this really is a picture of what Paul tells us in Ephesians 6.12. Ephesians 6.12, you're probably familiar with the whole counsel of God and, and or excuse me, the, the whole armor of God. It might be one of those mornings. Um, hopefully you're familiar with the whole counsel of God as well. Verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's what we're dealing with this morning. That's what every Christian has dealt with. Principalities, powers, plural. Beasts with heads and, and, and horns. Every age and every iteration, there is those who are under the sway of Satan who hate the Lord Jesus Christ and hate his people. So that's what we're going to be looking at. Also, uh, what I love about this section, it is probably, as we've mentioned before, just to recap, if you're here for the first time, uh, this is not our typical series. We're doing Revelation in nine weeks because we view Revelation as seven parallel visions that all encompass the church age or the millennial reign of Christ in heaven and the saints on earth. And this one is the most clear, because from the beginning of chapter 12 to the end of chapter 14, we get the first coming of Christ, and then we get the, the consummation of all things at the second coming of Christ. This encapsulates the first to second coming of Christ beautifully and uh, completely. So that's what we'll be looking at this morning. Uh, also, there's a lot of symmetry here. And so uh, this is going to be a sermon of threes. We've got three chapters. In chapter one, we've got three main characters. In uh, chapter two, we've got the three co-workers, the uh, three collaborators of Satan. I mean, chapter 12, chapter 13, which is the second chapter we'll cover. And, uh, and then the uh, third chapter will be three visions of the end, the consummation of all things. But what's interesting is in all that, 
in the middle of each chapter is an encouragement to the saints. Every chapter is anchored right in the middle with encouraging the saints to endure. And so we're going to look at a lot of this imagery, but we're not going to lose sight of the encouragement. Uh, So I'm going to read chapter 12. I'm going to read all of chapter 12. It's because I love chapter 12, and it's so dramatic, and I want to read it. Um, Because most of our time is going to be spent in in chapter 12, because we want to be clear on who these three central characters are, and it will set up everything else. Revelation 12, beginning in verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads uh, seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now a war rose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth. And his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brother has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea. For the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the child. But the woman was given the two wings of a great eagle that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she was to be nourished for time, times, and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with the flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured out from its mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who kept the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we stand in awe of you this morning. maker of heaven and earth, creator of everything, Lord and sovereign ruler over all. Who is man that you'd be mindful of him, and son of man that you would care for him? Lord, your gospel is a beautiful tale of good news, of your grace and your mercy and your love for your people. So often it's easy to get distracted by the dragon who's pursuing us and forget the God who holds us and nourishes us. Lord, would we rest in that fact this morning that in Christ we are secure. In Christ we are nourished. In Christ we are fed. 
In Christ we are cared for, in Christ we are protected, and in Christ we are preserved, and in Christ we will endure. That is the message to your saints throughout history. That will be the message until Christ returns, Uh, and I pray that is the message that we hear this morning through your spirit. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So, um, we're going to begin with the first of the three central characters. Here's the other thing. Uh, what we're looking at now is, is nothing new. This actually brings us back to the first gospel proclamation. So we're going to begin and end with Genesis 3.15. If you're familiar with your Bibles, uh, often Genesis 3.15 is called the Proto-Euangelion, meaning the uh, first proclamation of the gospel. Um, but it is also the first proclamation of the eschaton or the proclamation of the end. It is a promise of the one who is to come, but also the end that is to come. Now here, you all know the story of, of Adam and Eve and Satan who deceived them. Now the Lord is speaking directly to Satan, and here's what he says. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He, meaning her offspring, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Notice the conflict that's here. The woman and a child who is to come. Satan's going to nip at his heel like only a serpent can do. And it might hurt for a moment, but that child, that offspring, is going to crush the head of the serpent. And what is a dragon but just a really big serpent? And so this is going to be the theme throughout our text, and it's really the theme throughout all of Scripture. There is a woman And that woman is promised a child. And during her time on earth, life is not going to be easy because she has an enemy, especially this woman represents the people of God. We'll get to that in just a moment. Um, All right, let's dive in. Who is this this woman? Uh, She's a woman clothed in the sun with the moon over her feet, and on her head is a crown with 12 stars. This woman, this is a vision from heaven. This woman is beautiful and glorious. Who is she? She's the people of God. This is how heaven sees her, as if she is robed in the very sun. She is beautiful because she is beloved by the most high God. And she holds a crown on her head of 12 stars. Crown um, representing uh, victory and uh, royalty. Remember the significance of 12. What What are stars? We saw that earlier in Revelation. Stars are the angels that represent churches. There are 12 patriarchs representing those in the Old Covenant, Old Testament. There are 12 uh, apostles representing those in the New Testament. She is the holder of the church. She is the church, and she is beautiful in the sight of God. And this woman is expecting a child. It is highly symbolic. This is not just Mary. Yes, he was born of a woman, but this is the feminine symbol of the people of God. Because Christ is the, the husband. All throughout the Old Testament, the Lord pursued a wayward bride. And this woman is promised that she'll be saved through childbearing. And there is a child who is to come. But before the child comes, we, we have the protagonist. We have to be introduced to the, to the antagonist, the red dragon. This is pretty obvious. Uh, but there's even more symbolism here. This red dragon He has seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads have seven diadems. 
We'll get into Daniel more in a minute. We read that earlier. But all of these, all of these imageries are the same that, that, that Daniel saw. Quickly, heads. Um, these are nations. He has many heads. Um, they are many nations and many times and in many places. Remember the number seven. It's always symbolic. It's a number of, of, of completeness. So in every time, in every, in every era, in every age, Satan has influence. Satan has as nations and peoples and groups that are under his control. Horns. Uh, we'll see later in Daniel and in chapter 7 of Revelation that horns represent kings. They, 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 they represent powers and they represent authority. So in these, in these nations, in these, these times, he will have kings that are under his influence. And then diadems, diamonds, jewels. These, these kings, these powers will have appeal. They'll have wealth. They'll have, they'll have beauty. People will desire them. And so this dragon, he swept down a third of the stars of heaven. Last week we looked at thirds. Um, thirds just, just tells us that it's a, a portion. And so he took down a large number a third of the stars of heaven. Who are the stars? Angels again. So Satan takes with his, with, his, with his tail, he brings them down to earth, and he has this desire at the end of verse 4 to, des- to devour the child. He knows that this child, the one who was promised to crush his head, he must destroy it. Why do you think he had his ambassadors, Pharaoh and Herod, try to destroy these young boys? Because he knew that out of the line of Abraham, out of the line of David, would come one who would crush his head. So he must destroy all the little boys. Pharaoh didn't come up with that idea on his own. Yes, amazing if you haven't realized that before. Um, Herod didn't come up with that on his own. Satan wants to destroy the one who will destroy him. So that's the, uh, the setting. And then, but she, she does give birth. Verse 5, to the male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. Um, he is clearly human because she gives birth to him. He is the, the ruler of all nations. This actually is directly out of Psalm 2. Uh, and I, I want to read Psalm 2 because I want you to see the imagery here. And it's exactly what we'll be talking about this morning. Psalm 2, I'm going to begin in verse 7. I will tell of the decree, the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, or O horns, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all you who take refuge in him. Blessed indeed this child who is born, the one who will, who will rule with a rod of iron, he is caught up to God and to his throne. He is certainly human, but he is certainly not merely human, because no mere human should be caught up to his throne in heaven. This is a, a child who is a son of man and a son of God. Now remember that Christ is on his throne. He is caught up to heaven. We already saw that earlier. The lamb who is worthy to open the scrolls sits on his throne. But what about the woman? What about his church? What's happening to them while he's on the throne? This is why we call it the church age. This is what, where we are, and this is what the woman represents. Let's, let's continue. Verse 6, And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared for 
Remember last week, just like the uh, trumpets parallel the plagues of Egypt, this particular section, this time in the wilderness, parallels the exodus from Egypt. They tried to kill the son, but the woman flees into the wilderness, and God prepares. He, he, he plans. He goes before his people to feed them with, with manna and, and with, with dew. He, he nourishes them. Just like he nourished Israel, he nourishes us with the word, the body of Christ, with the Holy Spirit. And for how long? 1,260 days. Huh. Where do we see that number before? Probably on the same page in your Bible. Look at 11, verse 3. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for, you guessed it, 1,260 days. Again, this is the same period, the same church age, three and a half years. What's, what's going on here? There are the witnesses of, of God who will witness to his glory who will send out gospel ministers. This is the same amount of time that the church is being nourished in the wilderness. This is the church age. And then the rest of this chapter continues on um, and gives us the broader context of the fifth trumpet where Satan gets cast down. So we need to spend a little bit of time here to talk about Satan. We need to understand Satan, who he is, what he's doing now to understand the rest of the book and to understand the next couple chapters. So, uh, beginning in verse 7, there's this war in, in heaven, uh, Michael and the, in the, in the angels of the Lord fighting against the angels of, of Satan, and he is defeated. One thing I want you to notice, um, often, always, when we study the Bible, what is repeated? Five times, thrown down, thrown down, thrown down, cast down. There is, there is an imagery here, but there's also something that is, is, is happening. There is a reality of this, uh, this uh, conflict, that the great dragon, he is, he, he's thrown down to the earth, and his angels are thrown down with him. What does this mean? Um, we, we looked at Luke 17 and John 12 last week. I want to do it again, because I want you to get this. Um, excuse me, Luke chapter 10, verse 17. I want to give you the uh, full context here. What's going on? Jesus tells us. Luke 10, um, yeah, beginning in verse 17, I'm going to read through verse 20. He sent out his 72 servants. They returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Jesus responds in an interesting way that they don't understand, but we should. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Same picture we just saw. Behold, I have given you authority to tread over serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That is the encouragement to the saints, but that's the reminder that Satan used to dwell with the Lord in the heavenly court. Now he's cast down. Now this is his world. He used to go before God. Now he goes before man. Uh, also, in John chapter 12, we looked at this last week, but I want to look at it again. Uh, these things are, if each of these things are repeated in our, in our sections throughout Revelation, they're important for us. John chapter 12, verse 31. Now, meaning right now, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out from where? From heaven down to earth. 
And I, when I am lifted up from earth, will draw all people to myself. Jesus is telling us about the church age. Satan is being cast down. The ministry of, of, of Jesus, the inauguration of Jesus' ministry, is also the beginning of the end for Satan. He is cast out of heaven. This is why we see this proliferation of, of uh, demons and things like that. They are being released now, and as a reminder that the earth is being judged. But it's also a reminder that when I am lifted up to my Father, at the same time Satan roams around on earth, I'm going to be drawing people to myself. This is the church age. The church is being affected by the rule of Satan. But Christ is reigning over it all, and he is drawing people to himself. Verse 10. Sorry, we're back in uh, Revelation 12. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and power and kingdom of, and, uh, of our God and the authority of the Christ has come. The, the ministry of Jesus Christ. What does it mean? What, what, what happens to Satan when the kingdom of Christ, Jesus says in the beginning of Mark, Repent and believe the kingdom of God is at hand. What does that mean? For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. That's what Satan means, Satan, the accuser, who accuses them day and night before God. Here's the contrast. Remember in the Old Testament, Satan can go right up to God and accuse Job. He has an audience with the king. That's his, that's his sole purpose, is to accuse the saints. He started with Adam and Eve. He's, he, he had done it all along. But now, once Christ has come, he can no longer do that. He no longer has access to the throne. He is, he is cast down. Praise God indeed. And Jesus uses the language that he's bound. Look at Mark 3.27. When Jesus is being accused of casting out demons, according to Beelzebub, the prince of demons, here's what Jesus says. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then, indeed, he may plunder his house. So at the same time, Satan rolls, roars around like a, uh, like a, prowls around like a roaring lion. He is bound by Christ. He is limited to what he can do. He is a dragon. He is a dog. But he is a dog on Christ's leash. This... Is the meaning of Revelation 20, which we will get into in a few weeks. Revelation 20, if you flip over there very quickly, this is what this means. Revelation 20, verse 1, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. This is the, the, the church age. And threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him. Why? so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. There is nothing that can stop the growth of the gospel. There is nothing that can stop the irresistible grace of God because Satan has no power over the saints. Therefore, he has no power over the church. Therefore, the woman who is nurtured and nourished is cared for. Therefore, we rejoice when we read Romans chapter 8. This is why Paul can say so confidently, verse 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who shall accuse the saints? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or Satan? 
As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Even if we die, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That is the church age. That is what it means to be in Christ right now. That's why verse 12 is the encouragement right in the middle of the chapter. Or uh, I skip verse 11. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down in his great wrath because he knows that his time is short. This is the nature of the church age. The heavens rejoice because the kingdom of God continues to grow. The people of God continue to add to their number. The the, the harvest continues, yet at the same time, Satan rages on. The more the kingdom grows, the more he hates it, and the more he, he rages. The wheat and the tares are growing together. But don't forget that last line, his time is short. He is a great and fear, uh, fear-inducing dragon, but he's got a limited time and he has a limited leash. So now we get to this last ch- section of chapter 12. Um, and when the dragon saw that he, had per- that he had been thrown down to earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. Here's what characterizes the uh, church age. Let's just summarize th- th- this quickly. Since he couldn't kill Christ, he's going to pursue the woman. He, he's going to torment the church. But the woman is given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness for a place where she's to be nourished. This is deliverance language. Exodus 19.4, it'll be on the screen. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Also, Isaiah 40.28, which you're probably familiar with. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall not faint and weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. Amen. This is the nature of the the church age. The dragon's going to pursue, but the Lord will nourish, and the Lord will deliver his people. For how long? Time, times, and half a time. The dragon may pursue, but he's safe. Remember our numbers here. The same period, how long is three and a half years? 42 months and 1,260 days. Now, Daniel gives us a lot of context here. Um, More on the beasts in in a moment. Um, But I want you to see the context of Daniel. If you can, turn to Daniel. We looked at it earlier. And I want to give you context. Uh, Daniel is at the end of the major prophets, or right after Ezekiel, and uh, at the beginning of the minor prophets. So right before all the small books at the end of the Old Testament. But I want you to see this here. Chapter 7, we've looked at several times. This is where the Ancient of Days, God the Father in heaven, gives to the, 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 the Son of Man all glory and dominion. The Lamb who is slain for the sins of the world, he is given authority. He is is given power. And directly after that, Daniel sees a vision of the beasts. Daniel sees a vision of these these, uh, four kingdoms who will rise up. And then a fourth beast. But look at verse 21. As I looked, this, this horn, remember kings, made his war with the saints and prevailed over them until 
Same language of Revelation, the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. The forces of Satan will war against the church, the people of God, until the day that the Father has determined when judgment will come and the saints will possess the kingdom. Now there's this uh, fourth beast that Daniel looks forward to. Verse 23, uh, then he said, as for the fourth beast, there, fourth, fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it into pieces. And as for the ten horns outside of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise, and another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the, from the former ones. He shall put down the other kings. Uh, here's where it, it brings our um, passage in. He shall speak words against the Most High. He shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and he shall think to change the times and the law, and, he shall, and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment, this is the, the heavenly court, and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. In short, Christ is on the throne. The, the beasts of Satan will pursue him. They may look like they're winning for a time. They're going to snap at his heel, but they'll be destroyed to the utter end. And his kingdom will remain forever, and his kingdom belongs to the saints. That same time period is in chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 7. And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, and he raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And when the shattering of the power of the holy people, there's persecution, comes to an end, all these things would be finished. The church age, again, time, times, and half a time. I heard, but I did not understand, not surprising, then I said, O oh Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the times of the end. Here is what um, characterizes the times of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. Huh. Revelation language, sound like the saints with the white garments. But the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. But those who are wise shall understand. Those with ears to hear shall hear. Daniel saw the same vision John saw. Time, times, and half a time, there is going to be persecution. But at the end of that time, all the saints that are growing, all the wickedness of Satan that's growing, it's going to come to its consummation. And Satan knows his end. He hates the child. He hates the church. Going back into Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. And he pursued her offspring. And Jesus tells us, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is what is going on in the church age. If you are an offspring of Christ, if you are in Christ, you, you inherit his kingdom and his riches, but you also inherit his enemies. And his enemy hates you. But don't forget our theme verse in verse 11. We have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. For we love not our lives even unto death. Okay, now you've got the three main characters. We're going to move a little bit faster here. Sorry. 
<sighs> Faster meaning, we're not going to go into as much detail. So next is who, rather what, Satan employs to pursue the woman. These are the three collaborators. Uh, first, we get the uh, beast of the sea. Uh, remember, uh, and in case it does feel like we're going fast, we are. Uh, I, I'm just giving you tools. I want these things to kind of to paint the, uh, the picture so as you go through reading Revelation again, um, you're not surprised by this, this imagery. So the uh, first beast, uh, the uh, beast of the sea, who is he? Notice that there's the same description as in 12.3. He's got horns and he's got heads and he's got diadems. He is, he is consistent. He is a, a collaborator. He is a tool of Satan. Uh, William Hendrickson calls this Satan's hand. Satan uses, uses the powers of, of persecution to violently um, affect the king or, or affect the, uh, the uh, kingdom. And there's this beast rising out of the sea. So we don't get this, this imagery because uh, most of you, we're a younger congregation, you probably grew up on, on The Little Mermaid. And so you're used to, when you, see, when you hear sea, you, you, you hear like Sebastian singing in your head under the sea. And you think, oh, it's, it's, it's beautiful and it's, and it's colorful. Yeah, um, that's because we have uh, diving apparatuses and we, have, uh, we, we, have, we can take pictures. But you live in, in, in that day, if you went under the, the sea, it was terrifying. That's where, that's where the bodies laid. That's where storms came. No one, no one went under there looking at, at, at coral. You wanted to stay above the water at all costs. And so when something rises up out of the sea, it, it symbolizes death. It symbolizes decay. And, and look at this, this picture. This beast is rising out of the sea, ten horns, seven heads, ten diadems, and blasphemous names on his head. This is a terrifying beast. That's why at the end of Revelation in 21.1, it says the sea will be no more. Because the sea was terrifying to seafaring people who had many, many bodies left to see. Okay, so remember, all this is, this, this is highly symbolic. So what's the uh, picture here? When you look at all the animals and the heads and the horns, it is a fierce, uh, animalistic um, influence with power and authority in many ages, in many places from the dragon. He, is, he, is the, he, he wants to be worshipped, he wants to be feared, and he blasphemes for 42 months. What's the 42 months? The entire church age. This beast, this, this, this beast of Christian persecution who wants to make war on the people of God and conquer them even, verse 7 and 8. On every nation, he is out there trying to destroy the people of God. He is trying to kill the offspring of the woman everywhere he can for a time, for the entire church age. And there's some version of this in every wicked nation. Is this Rome? Is this Nazi Germany? Is this communist China? Is this the Islamic State? Check, 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 check. Is this true in John's day when they're being persecuted? Absolutely. Is this true in Luther's day when the church is being persecuted? Is this true in our day when the church is being persecuted? Absolutely. Of course, anti-Christian persecution or anti-Christ persecution is an operation in every age. This, this beast is many nations, many powers, many kings, many rulers who hate the people of God. And it may seem like it, he is, he's destroying them for a time. They want to be worshipped, and they want to silence the people who worship the true and living God. And this is a tool of Satan. This is his collaborator that he has throughout this entire age. That's the first beast. Told you we'd go quick, but uh, I want to simplify it. But then right in the middle, 
again, is an encouragement before we get to the second beast. Look at verse 10, at the end of verse 10. Here is the call for the endurance and faith of the saints. The saints must and will endure. This is why every church can read this and be encouraged. Because we don't focus on the beast, we focus on the lamb. We don't get distracted on, is, is this the beast, is, is this the horn, is this kingdom, is this this or, or, or that. It is to remind the, 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 uh, the church, there are beasts, it's a given, but you will endure. Because our faith is not in our situation, but in our Savior. Second beast, the beast of the earth or the beast of the land. Land symbolizes where a man dwells. These are the uh, devices of, of, of man. Um, notice the uh, picture here. He's not ferocious. He's uh, subtle. He's a lamb. He's a lamb who speaks like a dragon, just like the serpent in the garden. He speaks soft and subtly. He speaks convincingly. He's not overt, but he's, but, but, but he's smooth. He's got the same authority as the first beast, coming from the same source, Satan. But he's more concerned with your mind. The other one is a full frontal attack, persecution. This one, I think William Hendrickson's right here, he calls it Satan's mind or religious propaganda. Uh, the uh, descriptions go on that there'll be false religion with signs and wonders, and he desires to enslave you. He uh, tricks your, your, your mind. He captivates your heart, and then your money's going to follow. This religious propaganda, has this, did this exist in John's day? Absolutely. Did this re re exist in Luther's day? Absolutely. Did this exist in our day? Absolutely. This anti-Christian propaganda from false religions work with persecution, coming from the dragon in every age. Now it comes to the famous one, the mark of the beast. I'm going to tell you that these microchips that people are getting in their hands are the mark of the beast. No. Um, they Listen, this is, this, is not, this is not the Lord, but, but, but me. That's about as close as we can get. Um, that's another note. But why, why the mark of the beast? And why is everyone so fascinated with this? Um, Here's, here's what you have to understand. In, in those days, it, it's actually pretty simple. When you had a, a cattle or, or a slaves, you would put your, your mark on them. You would, you, you would brand them to know that they were yours. And so that's pretty much, that's pretty much it. And, and what does is, what is our forehead symbolize? It, it, it's our head. It's our control. We know when we have a covenant head, when we have a head of a household, he has control or he has responsibility for the other ones. If someone marks your head, you belong to them. Did this happen literally? Sometimes. But this is more spiritual. You, these are people who are giving over control of their selves to Satan. Remember, we've looked at several times already that the people of God have the mark of God on their forehead. And now there are some who have the mark of the beast on their forehead. The question is, who do you belong to? So is this literal? Could be. But it's certainly spiritual. That's where it's, where it's primary. Um, I saw that this guy, this is a, a, a true story. Uh, sometimes the YouTube algorithm just gives you some amazing things. Um, this, this, this guy uh, didn't realize that on, uh, as he was listening to the radio, on April Fool's, uh, there is a, a contest that if you got the numbers of the uh, radio station's call signs on, on, on your forehead, they'd give you $50,000. So in big, bold letters, the station is K-R-U-D. He got crud 
on his forehead in big, bold letters to make money. And then he shows up to court, and they're just laughing at him. Because, no, this is, this is a public, this is a April Fool's Day joke and a small little line at the bottom saying, oh, yeah, if, if you believe this, you're an idiot. So moral of the story is we think this is silly, but there, there's a man who lives in 2023 who would in big, bold letters put the name of a radio station on his forehead to make money. How much more when, when the world is promising you riches and promising you popularity and promising you happiness? Satan's propaganda, how many of these false teachers out there are telling you what you want to hear? God wants you to be wealthy. God wants you to never get, get, get sick. God wants, you to, God wants you to buy me a private jet. You know, all that, all that craziness. I, I have, I've heard that. Okay, so the mark of the beast are those who conform their allegiance to Satan because they want to get rich or they want to get powerful or whatever else it is. Okay, um, then there's the uh, 666, which is easy to explain. Uh, the number seven is the number of, of completeness. Uh, man was created on the sixth day. Um, six is always short of seven. It's always short of completeness. Satan is six, six, six. Incomplete, incomplete, incomplete. He will never be complete. He will never be perfect. He is the, the epitome. God is holy, holy, holy. He is sinful, sinful, sinful. He falls short, short, short. That's all it is. Um, so, and it takes wisdom. And here's where First um, John is uh, helpful. I want you to turn to First John. Go a couple books back. Hopefully everybody's still, still with me. Um, if you're in Revelation, go three books back, three books to the left. They're all very short to get to First John. So First John, he kind of helps us here. Same John who wrote the, uh, the uh, Revelation. Uh, 2.18. Children, it is the last hour, and as you heard, the Antichrist is coming. Now many Antichrists have come. Okay. Uh, he goes on in the rest of the chapter to tell us that the Antichrists are those who deny the Father, who deny the Son. But there are many of them. There are many who are against Christ, just like these beasts have many heads. But here's the encouragement to us. Here's the challenge to us in chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, the uh, propagandas of Satan, to see their, whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. But by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Same thing John's telling us in Revelation. Why do we believe this is the church age? Same thing John believed. They listen to the world. We listen to God. And so that is just discernment. Satan cannot condemn you, but he can confuse you. And many Christians get confused because they are not rooted in the word of God, and they do not know how to discern. All right. So remember I said that there were three collaborators. Uh, the, the one to come is in chapter 14, very quickly, chapter 14, verse 8. Another angel, a second, following, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all nations drink the wine and passions of her sexual immorality. So we'll get into that in chapter 17 and 18. Who is this? This is the great prostitute, the, the, the harlot. 
just like Satan's hand is persecution. Satan's mind is propaganda. Uh, yeah, it'll be up on the screen. Great. Um, the uh, harlot, the prostitute, is Satan's heart. He loves perversion. He wants to use sexual persuasion. Sound familiar? Is, what, what Was this true in Jesus' day? Of course. Was this true in Luther's day? Of course. Is it true in our day? Absolutely. So, we'll get into chapter 14 in a second. So we, should we be looking for one beast? Is this the beast? Is this the beast? If you have to ask, is this the beast? Yes, it is. And next decade, it's going to be the beast too. And the next crazy thing that comes out in the world will be the beast too. And um, this uh, harlot continues. So if you want to read more uh, context, look at, look at chapter 17. It describes the, uh, the uh, woman working with the beast. It, it tells us that the horns are our kings. And it, and, it, and it tells us that these uh, horns are going to conquer for a while. But it also tells us that the people of God will conquer through the Lamb because they are his chosen and his faithful. All right. Um, and then all of these, the, these enemies, these uh, collaborators, the two beasts and the prostitute, they'll all be destroyed in the coming chapters. Now, finally, um, chapter 14. In a sermon of threes, chapter 14 has three sections, all of them aspects of the consummation. We don't need to spend a lot of time on the first five verses because we already looked at it in chapter 7. Zion is God's holy hill, the, uh, the uh, place where the lamb dwells. This is where the child king sits. We already looked at the 144,000, the, uh, the uh, 12,000 times 12. Yeah? Yeah. Um, doing better than I thought I would. So... Um, this, these are the ones, but, but notice, verse, verse 1, who has his name and the Father's name written on their foreheads. This is the contrast. Those who are sealed in God and those who are, who are, who are sealed by, by Satan. This is the woman. The child is on the throne. The woman, the 144,000, is praising the Lord. And there's a, uh, there's a picture here of them being virgins. These are people who are undefiled, who have not given their, their, their hearts over to the harlot who have not slept with the prostitute, who have, who, have, who have remained faithful. And this is the church triumphant. They're singing this, this uh, beautiful song that only the redeemed can sing. Um, and I want to read briefly from Isaiah four, uh, 62. Uh, because God has been promising this all along. Isaiah 62, listen to... Uh, this is a glimpse of the song we will be singing in, in glory one day when we see our redemption come to fruition. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give and he'll put it on our forehead. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of our God. You shall no, you shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall be no more termed desolate. Here's the effeminate imagery again. But you shall be called my delight is in her and your land is married for the, delight, the Lord delights in you and your land, this, this land of Zion, new heaven, new earth shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And, the, and as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, 
so shall your God rejoice over you. Praise God. Even though the beasts pursue for a while, this is the end. This is the picture that all the saints look for. We've got a, a second section of three angels, and the angels go out with three messages. The first one, he's proclaiming the gospel. Fear the Lord. Give him glory. Judgment has come. He is the Lord of all. Then there's a second angel, which we already looked at. Babylon has fallen. That is the other sign of the consummation. The final gospel call goes out. Judgment has now come. Satan, the, Satan and his forces, the great Babylon, the great deceiver, Satan's heart has been destroyed. And then there's a third angel proclaiming that final judgment come to those who are marked by the beast. Verse 9 and 11 both met, um, reference the mark on their foreheads. But notice at the end of it, they will have no rest in verse 11. This is what is typical for those who face judgment. Judgment is coming, and there are no rest for the wicked. But right in the middle again is the encouragement to the saints. Verse 12, here is the call for the encouragement of the saints. This is the purpose of the book, brothers and sisters. Don't get caught up in the beast. Don't get caught up in all this other stuff. It is for the saints to endure, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed. This is promise, encouragement to the saints. What is their encouragement? That they shall rest from their labors. The wicked who's, who has the name of Satan on their forehead, there is no rest. You will never rest again. But those who have the name of Christ, you will rest forever in him. We sang it earlier, he will hold me fast now and forevermore. He will hold me fast. And then the last picture here, briefly, of this harvest on earth. This is the final judgment. It's exactly what Jesus told us in Matthew 13. I want you to read this, um, which summarizes everything we see here. Matthew 13, beginning in verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. And the weeds are the sons of the evil one. Pretty simple. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into a fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The end of this section is the end of Revelation, is the end of the age. Christ will come. He is coming with his angels. The wheat and the tares grow up next to each other. The same sickle that plucks up the wheat to, to, to bring them to him will cut down the weeds and throw them into the fire. This is the same judgment we have seen at the end of every section that we've covered so far. And you'll also see it at the end of our next section and the next two sections. Revelation is a book of the judgment of the wickedness of man and the dragon seven different times. And we end here. And so, 
I wanted, since this is a sermon of threes, I want to conclude with three cheers. Um, three encouragements. There are many more. But I want to remind you that that first gospel proclamation in Genesis 3.15 is also the first eschatological proclamation. There's good news that a child's coming. That child is going to destroy the dragon. The woman who gave birth to a child, he will crush the serpent. And that great dragon will be destroyed, guaranteed. Praise God. Praise the Lord. And all the saints say amen. Amen. We should celebrate that our enemy, we know his end. The dragon is introduced in chapter 12, but he's destroyed in chapter 20. So we know the end of our, our enemy. So brothers and sisters, here's the encouragement. Stay awake. Satan prowls today, right now, with, with persecution, with propaganda, and with, and with persuasion. He is bound. He cannot condemn you, but he can trick you. He can deceive you. He can, he can confuse you. So test the spirits of the world. Hold fast to the word of God. Look to Jesus Christ. Do not believe in the lies and all the persuasions of the world. Secondly, by faith, we are sealed in Christ. Brothers and sisters, you are sealed in him today. Praise the Lord. And all the people of God said, Thirdly, we are citizens of his kingdom, Zion. We will learn that song of redemption when we go before him one day. We will praise with the saints forever and ever, and there is a glorious harvest that we are working toward. Don't forget that as the church, we are that glorious woman who is wrapped in the sun, who heaven sees as as beautiful, and we get to be a part of this great harvest and sow seeds into it. And so as we approach this, this table, this table is for those who are the seeds sown by Christ. And if you are in Christ, you are sealed in him, He is your victory, and this is a meal of victory. I'm going to pray for us and give us a few moments to quiet your hearts and minds and prepare for the table. Heavenly Father, we love you, we praise you. We thank you for this beautiful picture of redemption, this, this sprint through Revelation 12 through 14. But Lord, will we just take to heart, the child is our Savior, Jesus Christ. He will crush the head of the serpent. His leash is short. We are sealed in Christ Jesus, and we are citizens of of his kingdom. Would your saints rejoice and find encouragement at this table? And anyone here today who prefers the persuasion and the propaganda of the world who's chasing after Satan, who believes the lies of the enemy. Lord, would you drive them to their knees in repentance or drive them out of this place? That, you're, that you would protect and provide for and nourish, for your, nourish your church as you always have for your name and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.